Digital 410 proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your hosts, Don Abernathy, Jeff Copsetta, and Henry Sledge. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast, and we are back every Monday and each and every Monday. I want to thank each and everybody who logs in to the YouTube channel and participates in the conversation. And if you're hearing the audio of this and you've never thought about it, you too can join in on the conversation. Please join us live every Monday, 9.30 Eastern Time on YouTube as we stream the show live. You can listen along, communicate, send out chats and questions, and we'll answer them in real time. And speaking of real time, joining us in real time, as always, straight from the, well, I don't know, you guys get any of the, the bands from the crazy hurricane that hit California, Jeff? Are you guys still nice and dry out there? We're crispy, dude. Crispy? It's crispy out here. It's a dry heat, though, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dry heat. No humidity. 106 today. Uh, I heard a story of a lady, I think, in Austin that baked a loaf of bread in her mailbox. I've seen that video. Yeah, it's been in the, like, 96s, 97s down here in Florida with, like, bathroom two and a half seconds after you get out of hot shower type humidity so we have both the heat and the the god awfulness that you just walk outside and if you're a lady your hair just goes and you look like sideshow mel late simpsons 1995 we're excited this tonight's episode has been years in the making and um i'm gonna let jeff intro this guest because he has put in the work to get her on she's been busy doing great things and we're happy to have her on the show so jeff if you don't mind take it away sir yeah i mean you called it it really has been years and that has been like no fault of mine uh, <laughs> let me let me just get that out there i've been doing my end of the bargain it's all t-mobile's fault but we've got we've got liberty phillips tonight and <laughs> You know, I'm I'm just so proud to, to know her, to call her a friend. I've known her for years. And for those listening, you're going to have probably the same questions that I have because she's such an absolute enigma. And she does what so many of us want to do and wish we could do. But I'll be honest, I have no idea how to actually explain what it is she actually does. We just know it's amazing. Because like I said, I've known her for years, and she has given me opportunities that I would never have again. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So without further ado, the lovely Liberty Phillips from Operation Meatball and Bridge to History. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Thank you. And I'm sorry I've been evading and elusive for so long. It it is no fault of your own, I promise. (laughs) I I think last time... I think we actually had a date nailed down last May and then I was in Vietnam and got stuck there and I was like, I just can't, I can't do the time change. (laughs) So we're here, we're in Texas enjoying 105 degree temperatures too. If I only had a dollar for every time a guest got stuck in Vietnam. (laughs) (laughs) That old chestnut. I've been bleeding that for all it's worth actually. (laughs) I think it's like number three excuse on monster.com of like 2004 of why people miss work. But, you know, we won't bring that up. <laughs> it is a legitimate excuse. <laughs> I was with all these Vietnam rotor heads. We were just supposed to be there for 10 days. And at that time, you could only get back stateside if you had like a, if you got a negative COVID test. Oh. And every single person on the trip, except for me and the tour leader, kept testing positive for like, two and a half weeks so you're guilty by association i well i was like i can't abandon these people i have to stay and help them and then i just was like i could get yeah so was there for a couple weeks longer than planned while everybody was stuck and i'm just like filtering them food and anything anything we think that could kill it so if that's like lots of vodka we tried it but so it was a legitimate excuse it was a real excuse When you have a situation like that where you have how many people were on that trip? Uh, we had, uh, I think, 18 were locked up at, at one point. 18 out of 20. Yeah. So you have 18 out of 20, and you guys are held over for two weeks. How does room and board work on that? I guess maybe the hotel so, probably just kept your room because it's not like the next people are coming in because they probably can't fly in, right? <laughs> The hotel was amazing, actually. Shout out to the Silk Path in Hanoi. The irony is that we were stuck in Hanoi, um, like a block from the Hanoi Hilton. And um, 
so yeah, the hotel every day they were sending people to get uh, give the COVID tests, and they just held the rooms. And a, a blessing in disguise is Vietnam was requiring um, travel insurance at that time. Like you couldn't enter the country unless if you had travel insurance. So thankfully, all of that was covered, um, which is really nice because it's, it was a very nice hotel. Um, but yeah, the hotel was awesome. They just kept shuttling food and saying, well, we hope you make it out tomorrow. And when we finally were all cleared, they literally, they literally had a party for us and celebrated. They were like, we're, we love you, but go we're home. very happy to see you go. <laughs> go home, Americans. You're yeah. the best, but go home. <laughs> you know, I never really thought about it, but I'm surprised the Hilton's PR people really haven't put a little more effort in trying to get that whole, <laughs> that acronym changed for that particular situation. <laughs> Just let it ride. Right. Well, there you yeah, go. Slugs. So, we, you know, stuck in Vietnam. And that's, a, I think, a perfect segue to you were there for business and what you do. So if you could uh, tell everybody a little bit about Operation Meatball, how you just because I'm just as curious as everybody else listening here. How did you get started in being able to create a life for yourself and an organization that's just revolves around taking care of? of veterans and traveling with them. It's amazing. Yeah. And so there's the, there's the long version and the extended version. I'll give you the, the concise one. Um, I got introduced into the world of World War II and history when I was pretty young. My dad actually took my family to the 60th anniversary of the EWO, which was held in Fredericksburg in 2005. So I was eight. Um, I'm going to be 27 in a month. So yeah. Um, so when I was eight, dad took us around and introduced us to the vets. And he was like, these are really important people for you to meet. He explained the histories. I talked to them and I didn't really know what was going on, but I, was, I had this enormous tape recorder, which I carried around and interviewed the vets. And I think I met Jack Lucas and, um, I have the cassette somewhere. I, it's, I gotta take it off cassette and I need to like, put it on. I can help actual. you with that. I just so happen to yeah. know they do make tape cassette to USB on around Amazon, it's a just a tape set to USB, so and you can just simple plug it in, hit record, I hit play, and then walk away for forty five minutes. Come back, flip the tape, walk away, and then edit it later. That's amazing because I've been carrying. I've moved tons of times since then, and that's the one object I've never lost, which I don't know how. So that's that was when I was eight. That was my first introduction. I kind of met my first World War II vet when I was six, in connection with that because he was a P fifty one pilot who lived in Fredericksburg. He'd been shot down by friendly fire in the Pacific and my dad was going to make a documentary on his story. So, and we'd on, on my way to music lessons in Fredericksburg every week, I'd stop by his house, pick up picture books. And then he was like a home library. So that got me into like the, a little bit interested in world war two. I was very big into history. I was reading like military history books when I was eight, but fast forward to when I was about 14, dad, was taking some World War II vets over to Normandy for the anniversary. So we put on a big event and that's kind of when everything clicked for me because I met a couple of uh, British vets who one of them, two of them actually, one was in the army, one was in the Navy. They became like surrogate grandparents to me. My, uh, my grandfather died when I was pretty young. He had Alzheimer's. And so these two British vets kind of stepped in and uh, one of them in particular, he wrote me letters. He wrote me hundreds and hundreds of pages of letters talking about the war, writing stories, just making up, making up children's stories, integrating his life, telling me all about these things. So that's when everything really clicked was when I was about 14 and I realized there is um, a time constraint. I'm growing up on the tail end of when the mm -hmm. vets are around and pretty sure there's not going to be a lot left soon and my kids are definitely not going to meet them. So my sisters and I, when we were all in high school, we started Operation Meatball, which was... It was, it grew. We started it as something really small and it just snowballed. Initially, it was just going to be my sister was going to, one sister, Faith, she was going to sing. We were going to have a correspondence with veterans, take down their stories, um, record them and do a little bit as we could and meet as many vets as we were able to. And then it's, you know, it's like a little bit like a drug. The more you meet, the more you want to meet and you mm -hmm. learn more stories and then they become your friends. And we'd actually, ironically, we'd said, all right, we're going to do this for three years while we're in high school because we're going to be older. We're going to have college. We're going to have stuff to do. Older. So we started operation <laughs> <laughs> older. Yeah, I know. You know, when you're like 15, 
three years is huge. Hold on. Since, so since, I, just, after, since I derailed your train, real quick, because I know our audience is going to be <laughs> wondering, what did your father do? Did he have a direct association with military and veterans? Was it a hobby for him? Because you said, you know, he introduced you to vets. He's working on a documentary. Now he's taking guys over overseas. What, what was your father's association with World War II and the military? So immediately immediately no military connection he had a great uncle who was killed in a pow camp in the pacific um but dad and his dad were my grandfather was a huge history buff he worked um up in dc and capitol hill he was connected with a lot of military leaders in the 70s 60s 70s and 80s and he was just loved history and he understood the connection of you understand where you came from you know where you're going you understand your history you so you don't repeat it consistently sure. so he raised his kids he took um my dad and my dad's five siblings uh to battlefields and if they read a history book that he'd take them to meet the author so my dad was brought up in that world of just uh, a lot of hands-on immersive Absolutely. experiencing of history and so my dad then kind of picked that up ironically my parents went and did Civil War battlefields for their honeymoon. Nice. So the nerd level <laughs> was up there already. So dad's done a lot of different stuff over time, but his passion has always been storytelling and documentary making. So he did, that's uh, when he realized that that was kind of his niche when he started doing documentaries on Iwo Jima. That's kind of when he pulled us kids in because it was always a family, it was always a family business. We always worked together. It's great because it's like, you get a lot of, cheap labor but it's also it's it's a good thing to do together so that was his connections i know a military my i mean my grandfather tried to enlist in vietnam but they wouldn't take him and that wasn't the path for my dad but uh telling the story and narrating because you know who writes the history books determines how you're going to look back on things sure. so that's how i got roped into it it was just perfect kind of bred into that world yeah that's very cool i mean if you're going to get forced into a family business, it's better something historical than like selling carpets. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's it's everybody's had different interests. Oh, and it I, I just want the carpets because history... I grew up with a guy whose dad had a carpet store. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't know. You see a lot of in, inside of people's homes in a carpet store. I bet mm -hmm. eventually. Yeah, thankfully carpet's going out. So your Glad three years that, just kept growing and growing. So three years, yeah, we got to the end of the three years and we'd been putting on, my the girls had, uh, Jubilee and Faith were my two sisters, they are, um, <laughs> and we put on a couple of programs for veterans, uh, both in, locally and with um, over in Virginia and D.C. and with Honor Flights, we got really connected with Honor Flights. So we'd put on like USO style shows. There was an old car museum out in uh, St. Marcus, which I don't know, Jeff, if you've ever been out to Dick's Classic Garage. It was, oh, they closed a couple of years ago when Dick died, but he had the most incredible collection of classic cars. And I don't believe he was a veteran, but he'd been, um, I, th I think his thing was he was a Boy Scout, but he loved the vets. And so he would let us host our events there, which was fantastic. And I think about it now and it's hilarious that you've got like a 17 and 16 and 14 year old hosting events for a lot of 90 year olds. But we'd have like these terrific events in, in the middle of these old car, this old car museum. And it was just so much fun. So for three years, we did that. We worked with Honor Flight. We did a lot of oral history collections. I had a, a veteran a correspondence program where I just wrote hundreds of veterans. Um, and then we get to the end of three years and we go, oh, snap, we're friends with all these people now. And you can't just forget them and move on because my life has been changed. So we modified a little bit because eventually one sister went to college and another sister, Faith, uh, worked more pursuing her music. But we still worked together for a while and it was like, okay, we're going to do probation for another year and then another year. And then and next year we're, is going to be my 10th anniversary of Operation Meatball. So it went from three years to no, we're, we're going to do this because this is really important. And it's more even than just world War two veterans now, because I got really, I, I met a couple of Vietnam vets, which changed my perspective on the war and our Americans understanding of Vietnam. And I realized, Oh, there's, there's just a lot more to unpack here. Yeah. And you got the Korean war vet. So, and it's not, I, I think perhaps people could say, oh, you just glorifying war. And it's not because no. I, I don't glorify war at all. Um, 
war is horrible. That's why we have that's that, but that's why I do the work with the veterans too. Well, you talk to them, talk to them and get their stories. It's to hopefully translate it for people who didn't experience that. So we have a better grasp of it. And also, so you remember and appreciate that. Well, and you said it earlier and that's a big thing. And we've said it so many times in this podcast, you do not hear the phrase. If you don't learn your history, you're bound to repeat it. And no, you know, and the only people who suggest you're glorifying war, people tend to be anti-war and don't know what they're talking about anyhow. So I don't think you have to worry about that so much. Real quick, <laughs> yeah. you're saying you guys felt this kind of weird that you said a 14. What were your, what was your all's ages when you started the meatball? So when we officially in the name Operation Meatball was just going to be there for that was just a holding place. That was a joke because it was going to be you know Operation Overlord, Operation Mincemeat. So I. Uh, my dad was helping me set up the website at that time. I was like, Operation Meatball and Spaghetti Sauce, and it never changed. So I got stuck with that, but it worked because my old my old people remembered it. I'd have like a 99-year-old call me up and ask how the meatball girls were doing. So when we started Operation Meatball, I was 17, Jubilee was 15 or 16, and Faith was 14. Well, it so. works too because um, meatball is kind of a term that was used during that time. But what I was thinking is when you said the ages and how weird it was that you guys were kind of – hosting 90 year olds if you think about it though there's no better generation because when they were those ages that was adulthood we had um a, a new friend of the show on from w uh, lvm 1940s streaming radio and he runs these real-time commercials. i listened to that and one yeah. of the other day was like i don't know if it was a civilian corps or but it was something war related and they said anyone over 14 and up. So that like during the war, that was there 14 and up, not, not 18 and up, but 14. And so it's, it was quite common for that generation to look at 14, 15, 16 year olds as adults and give them adult oriented jobs. So to that generation, looking at you guys, sure. In their advanced ages, I might thinking you guys are young, but they part of them probably thought <laughs> back. Yeah. Well, when we were their ages, we, some of us were sneaking off to do more advanced things to, help support the cause and let's be honest yeah. you guys are kind of born into this your your names are liberty jubilee and faith i, mean, I know it's it's born hilarious and i just that just goes my to show dad was going your parents. through law at that time so oh i think they're great names they're great original names i mean it's great and actually uh, the audio people won't be able to see this but um Fort Liberty. I look. I'm against the name. I'm against the base name changing terribly. But they just renamed Fort Bragg Fort Liberty, and I, I hate it. But um, but I think it is hilarious now that there's a. I'm named after a post. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the first time I, so, I think the first time I met Liberty, I was like, we were shaking. I was like, that that's your real name. <laughs> like you're just Liberty. Is that a stage name or wow. a plume. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, stage name. Everybody, I. That's the main thing is everybody thinks it's a stage name. I'm like, no. If I was picking a stage name, I would have picked something a little less obvious. A little less obvious. It's the just night. a little obvious, but it. But it's work. It's yeah. It's worked out. It's worked out good. The vets. It's it's funny. You know, different ages people remember different things, but my nonagenarians usually remember me. <laughs> so that's good. So you guys started out with a predetermined idea of what operation meatball was going to be but after you got out of high school things started changing and it i'm assuming it's kind of gone in the direction that you never anticipated a hundred percent yeah um so when we recalibrated and said okay there's a little bit more here and it's going to take a little bit longer and you have all these relationships we it, it's it, there's there were definitely a lot of growing pains to figure out what to do because the vets are dying and then I have all this this resources of knowledge and stories from them and it's still a growing process but I started I worked with um over the years I worked with uh, both my own organization others doing battlefield return programs where we took the vets over but it transitioned the last few years is when we said, all right, this is Operation Meatball's mission statement is honoring our veterans and connecting them with the youth of today. So as the veterans started to really get thin and the, the last few pass away, I've been to a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of funerals. Um, then I said, all right, we need to start really getting heavy on connecting with the kids, connecting the kids with the veterans who are still alive, but connecting 
connecting them with their stories too, because they are going to be the ones to carry that on. So that's why um, Operation Meatball started a, a sub a sub program called Bridge to History, which is now taking preteens, so young kids, um, nine to twelve years old, eight to twelve, um, to the battlefields of World War II, um, to D Day, to visit to London, where you visit the epicenter of of the war, Churchill, and giving them a hands-on experience so that they can giving them the experience really that I had growing up, which is going to battlefields, feeling the dirt, picking up the rocks, running, charging, not making a mock or a, re- a joke of it, but like really seeing it with your hands and feeling it. So that's where I started bridge to history. And um, I'm actually, I'm kind of, I'm really happy with it because we had our first program last year and to see the kids connect, not just with um, the locations, but with the veterans there and the stories. And no, and I know now, okay, I've spent my life with these veterans and now I have someone who I can pass on what I've, what I've learned. I can pass it on to these young kids because they're really, really enthusiastic. I, I don't mean to sound like I'm an old person. No, it's... I feel like I was entrusted with the big treasure with their legacy and I need to find kids who are going to be able to take that on too. So and, that's kind of how OM morphed over the years. And I think that's the perfect way to do it. Cause one of the other things we've talked about on here is kids nowadays, it everything has to be interactive, interactive or tangible to say, Hey, we're going to sit down and watch a f- hour and 45 minute documentary on world war two or read this book. You're just going to get not interested. Where's my phone, but Hey, <laughs> yeah. it's, hold this three pound helmet. Hey, we're going to get on a plane, go over there. You're going to see the battlefield. You're going to talk to the descendants or even some of the people who were children when this was going on in their backyards. And you don't get much more hands-on than that. And I think that's probably, with today's generation, that's probably going to be the the best way to truly embed those seeds into them. And maybe some of of those uh, youth will get involved into World War II instead of waiting until they're 45 like most guys do. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's why I wanted to aim to a really young category of kids. And that's why I set it up to be a scholarship program, because a lot of people say, oh, well, I can't I can't afford to do that. I can't I can't afford to take the time off. I can't afford to do it. So I wanted to create something which says, "Okay, let me take that pressure off from you where we give you the experience. But the kids, you don't as a parent, you don't have to be worried about, Okay, this is coming out of, you know, this many paychecks. Um, now it's limiting in that regard because I can only take so many kids per program, but it's, I, I want to, I really want to reach out to to kids so they don't have to wait till they're much older. And, you know, some of the people, I had a couple of people who wanted to sponsor kids for the last program who, um, are on the North side of their age, they're past retirement. And they're saying, I'm doing this because I have wanted to go to Normandy my whole life and I haven't. And so I want to give the kids the opportunity now. So do you have a, it's fun. And and the age group is so fun. (laughs) Sorry. How do kids qualify? Is there a prerequisite? I mean, do you, part of you say, well, we want kids who are interested in the subject, but we also want kids who aren't so we can get them interested. How do you, how do you juggle that? How do you, qualify the kids for the limited amount of slots per year so emphasis definitely goes on the kids who are interested because i i'm going to rely on them to get other kids interested so to get on a program they they have to do a little bit of work it's not just a free trip they got to fill out they've got an application form then they have an essay they have to write saying why is it so important that i choose you sure and then they have to do a video um because I, w- I want to know if I call them my bridge to history ambassadors because they're going to be representing their generation. And, um, you know, k- kids have all different strengths. Some of the kids you bring are really shy. Some of them are very outgoing, but I want them to do a video because it starts the process of them getting out of their skin, talking and verbalizing the things that they're really passionate about. Yeah. And then they have to, um, and all that, that composition altogether then I know, okay, who, who are the ones who really want to go? Because I don't want to bring kids who their parents say, come on, you have to do this. Mm-hmm. I want kids you really want to go. So the kids who I bring, are, the, I'm talking to them on the phone, and I'm saying, all right, you're coming. And they go, I'm so excited. I've been waiting my entire life for this. Perfect. I'm like, you're nine years old. <laughs> but 
I understand you've been waiting your whole life for this. Or one, one, one of the kids last year said, I've been waiting four years to go see D-Day. And I was, and I was like, since you were five years old, and he was like, yes, you don't understand. I've been reading and watching movies about this for four years. This is all I've ever wanted. So the kids are very, very passionate. And when they come home, it's more, it's more than just the trip. When they come home, they got to talk to their schools. They got to talk to the civics groups. They got to talk to all these groups. Um, and that's where the mentorship program continues because you can't just dump a lot of information on a young kid and then expect them to remember it. It's to, it's to kind of help them get their feet wet and to know, all right, these are the type of people I'm going to connect them with groups, with veterans. Um, and then they talk to their schoolmates and get their schoolmates excited. And that's where kids who aren't necessarily going to be interested in history at first are going to, they're going to be like, Oh wait, Normandy war history, world war two. Okay. That might be a little more interesting than I thought. So it's, it's a process, but we take the really, the ones who are really gung ho about it for starters. What's the age There's group? There's a lot of them. Of those they all want to come. What's the age range so of qualified eight, kids? Eight to 12, eight to 12 though. I tell people if you have a kid who's a little bit older or a kid who's a little bit younger, send in an application because if someone drops out or if we make, you know, if we change the age a little bit, I'd rather have them send in an application and show their interest um, than just say, oh, well, I can't because my, my grandchild or my son is thir 13. I mean, I'll, I'll take a 13-year-old. I, um, I just like 9 to 12 because they aren't bothered by technology or boyfriends and girlfriends or trouble or phones or any of that stuff. They just, they're so passionate. And it's a cusp age where um, if a kid's really nerdy, and I use the term nerd lightly because there's everyone in the world were too, and hi, everyone who loves history has like a bit of nerd about them. Yeah, but nerd's but, a popular thing um, now. It's not like it was in the 80s when it, we had it, Revenge I guess of the now nerds. it is. Ever since Big Bang Theory came out, it's nerds. It, I mean, otherwise, I mean, True. why are there so many comic book movies? Because of a generation of kids raised up on Big Bang Theory. So it's cool to be a quote unquote nerd now. Yeah. Then yay for Big Bang Theory, <laughs> but this age I talks on the, the other hand some of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> they the kids I, I I was homeschooled, so my experience with like kids bullying and everything is very different. Because even though I was around a lot of people all the time, it's a joke that I was over socialized as a child. Um, I didn't have like that school experience where people like, oh, you like this, you're stupid. But I know for a lot of kids this age, if they're really passionate about history. If they're encouraged, they will blossom, mm -hmm. they will pursue it, they will become historians and teachers. But if they have a bad history teacher or if someone says, ah, oh, that's stupid, why are you studying about people who died? Yeah. Then they're going to say, oh, well, maybe it's not worth it. And then they just kind of um, shrink up. And I actually, I've seen that play out down the, path, down the way because I, I always think that I kind of have been able to read the, the last chapter in life because I've known so many people at the beginning and the very end of life. And so I've, one of my vets years ago was one of these people who he was really passionate about a subject. His subject he was passionate about was actually architecture, but he was really, he had a hard life growing up. He was kind of pushed around a lot and he was told don't pursue that. So he didn't. And the rest of his life, he was, he wished he'd pursued this passion. He was brilliant, but he never did. And when he's 96 living by himself in a, rough care home he was like i really wish that i had a push in that direction and been able to do this do this thing that i love so much which is architecture and building and design so with these kids i want to i want to say all right if you if you if history is your thing let's try it out let's see if it's something you can really take and run with it because then you can be the next you can be teachers and historians and help other people so. It, it didn't occur to me until you were talking about people saying that's dumb and squashing it down. This is also the age group where they're in those schools that it's very delicate. The topic of firearms in general, you can't bring it up. So how do you express yeah. your, your interest in a topic that revolves around firearms? I mean, in, in modern day schools, right. so that's, it's almost like they got to kind of learn how to walk a verbal tightrope when at school, when they want to talk about this interest, but not do it in a way that's going to get them, you know, it's one thing in high school, but, you know, that age group, I mean, there's probably a lot of oversensitive, mis not in a bad way, but oversensitive misunderstanding on that particular topic that a lot of these kids probably have to try to skirt around when it comes to certain teachers. 
So. Right. Well, and and that's where it's also more, more than just warfare that we're talking to the kids about because heaven, I'm not I'm not here to, to teach the kids all about war. It's about it's more than the history of the history of the war world and the history of World War II sure. isn't just about the battles and the statistics. It's about it's understanding leadership. If you look at the leaders, like one of my, if you look at the leaders and how they led you can apply it to all areas of life. Like mm -hmm. I know, um, I think it was Earl, uh, it was Rudder, Rudder's Rangers. He was, he, he did football. And so there's these connections to how you lead on the football field with how he tra trained his men. And I mean, the, the overlap is tremendous. So what, these kids, I'm not just saying, all right, this is how many men were killed. This is what happened. It's okay. Look at the, look at the men who came ashore on D-Day and the ones who made it out and why a leader is at the front and one of okay so aniwa not to digress but one of the first veterans i met he was an iwo jima vet he was a colonel um colonel henderson and i remember when i was eight hearing him say a leader leads from the front he had this really raspy voice he said a leader leads from the front you don't say boys go take hill 51 you say come on boys i'm taking phil 51 sure. come on with me so that's an example of how it is to be a man and showing that uh, people can respect you and can count on you and follow you. And so that's, you want to teach those kids that. Um, and then like, and what is resilience? Mm -hmm. We go through London and we, we learn what is, what is resilience? The English people during the blitz. Um, my English gramps was, bef he joined the Navy when he was pretty young, but he was like a 14 year old boy during the blitz. And, he has told me so many stories about how he would work. He worked at this theater and he would take his water bucket and go on top of the roof and watch the bombs dropping. And he was there to take douse any fires that happened. But the, his stories of just this subtle courage and resilience that the English had. I mean, that's something the word resilient is one that we don't use a lot, but I think we could all, we could all afford to have a bit of that in ourselves. So it's, I want to teach the kids all these different lessons of life. You know, what is, what is the price of war? We take them to the cemeteries. The cost of war is that there's, you know, almost 10,000 Americans buried in Omaha cemetery. There's, you take them and you see the German cemetery and you say, what is, what is it? What does it look like when you lose? You are buried in a foreign land and it's, you're so far away from home and, people care but it's different yeah. you're you're the losers in the war um so and then meeting the people in in france in town we um i introduced the kids to we call them the judel children because there is a small town in normandy that um during the invasion one of the paratroopers had landed in and the town had taken care of him and his mother who was a wealthy Jewish woman. She was an expat who'd lived in Paris and then went home to America. She ended up supporting that town for 20 years after the war because she was so grateful to them. So all of these, now they're in their 70s and 80s. Um, they, these uh, French children, they got their education, their clothes and their experiences and she'd take them on trips to Paris so they could see the outside world. They had that experience because of um, Madame Judel. So I took my kids to meet them because they are the children of war. They're the children who were born during war in the rebuilding afterwards. And they're telling my children, this is what it is like. This is why we have our friendship with the Americans. And this is what it is like to have gratitude. It's just, there's so many levels. The French are really, the French are really beautiful people. The Normandy people, French are really wonderful. So there's so many lessons to teach children about World War II. It's not just about blood and guts and general Patton, who is a very magnificent human but <laughs> there's there's a lot of lessons it's kind of like a fire hydrant oh absolutely no i was saying that in the terms of the uninformed teacher who may hear the child talking about world war ii all the time they're not thinking about all the the stuff that right. we all were into this for you know this and so that's kind of the aspect i was talking about Mm -hmm. Jeff, you got any questions? So hopefully the kids will then go and talk to their teachers and be like, let me tell you what I learned about war. And the teacher's like, Absolutely. no guns. And you're like, it's more than guns. Yep. It's tanks and guns. <laughs> and really snazzy <laughs> clothes. Well, yeah, and I can say this because, you know, this is my first year actually teaching history. I'm covering uh, the kind of the first half of U.S. history, you know, colonization to uh, civil war. And 
um, and it's it's under a house built program. It's it's basically I'm teaching a bunch of freshmen who didn't exactly pass uh, or get the scores that they needed in eighth grade. So they're offered like this extra time. Basically, I'm teaching during advisory. And, you know, when you talk about like Liberty, when you're talking about uh, resilience, right, like there's some big concepts um, that come out of the Second World War that are so foreign to us because we haven't needed it. Um, I don't even think, and it's it's crazy to you know to say this, but I don't even think kids understand a winner and a loser in a war so much anymore. Because when is the last time we had a clear cut winner when we went to war? Right. It was the greatest generation. So war is fought so differently now. Kids are growing up. War is just you. Just oh yeah, my brother deployed. He deployed. He went over there like six times, whatever, and he came back and. You know, we just sent him Maxim magazines and he would play in video games and we would FaceTime and I, you know, Facebook Live and then he came home. Like that's war for a lot of the kids that I'm I'm teaching. And there's such a disconnect. Um, well, I was telling a story about when I got to meet President Bush and kids asked me if I was in Vietnam. Like, you don't even look that old. Were you in Vietnam? Which Bush? Like, I know something like that. Something like that. I'm like, <laughs> So, you know, I so I guess that's one of the reasons that I heard the calling towards education, because it's so easy. I heard Don say it earlier. It's so easy to say kids these days, kids these days, they don't get it. Kids these days, they just want to play with their phone. Kids these days. Well, I mean, that's no different than, you know, when Don was growing up, kids these days watching Saturday morning cartoons, it's melting their brain. Kids these days watching The Simpsons, kids these days, you know, whatever. <laughs> So it's, they're just a product of their environment. So that's kind of what was always my motivation is when you say history to a, to a middle schooler, especially, or or a young high schooler, it's memorization. It's people, places, dates, and what Liberty does and people, you know, a lot like you, that's, we try to take history it is no it's not memorization of names and places and dates it's everything that happened before now and where we're at today and making that connection you know we're, we're trying to connect those dominoes because it's so hard to the further we get away from these concepts it's like it's so foreign now which to me i think is a good thing i i know it's a good thing because i saw teenage uh boys and girls in another country not even stop what they were doing when I watched four mortars come in within a couple hundred yards of them. And they didn't even turn around and look. When you have a, you know, our country is, I mean, it happened in Central Park. If we had, just imagine it's four mortars just land in Central Park, New York. Chaos, you know, headline on the news for months. But when you grow up in a different environment, then that's just part of your life. And no kid should be that calloused. No kid should grow up like that. So the fact that our kids these days here in America don't understand this, I think it's because of these 90 plus year old men that had, you know, what it took. They had the guts, they had the drive, and they did it for the right reason. Because I I know several, you know, Medal of Honor recipients from my generation that they're not going to come to an event once you give them $10,000. They're not going to come talk. They're too busy for that. And then we have second generation that, you know, they'll, they'll take that medal and lay it on the headstone of their buddy, you know, or give it to the family of, of you know, the mom of somebody that was lost. It's just, it's totally different. So uh, what you're doing, Liberty, is it, it's inspiring. It's fascinating. Like I said, I'm just so proud to say that I know you and that we get to see each other you know once a year or so because um you do what i wanted to do since i was four years old and i just didn't know how to do it uh i had to go the more conventional route but to say that you've created this is just unbelievable it's just it's awesome like i don't even know what to say i know there's listeners going like yes can i have liberty's job like can i go to the high school council like when you grow up can i be liberty phillips like like I want my real job. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. It just it's awesome. And uh, I just think about all the World War II vets that I talked to that I never had the foresight to. Well, let me write this down. 
or let me record this. I mean, they're World War II vets. These guys, they're going to be here forever. Like, I, I don't know a world without them, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? So, I mean, ah, but yeah, the opportunities you're giving these kids is incredible. I, I, I laughed when you said this kid, I waited four years. Bro, I've waited 40 years to go to Normandy, and I still haven't gotten there. One day, I'm gonna get but... there. By the way, yeah, but you got you got to remember we'll get there. It will happen. Remember when we were the their age? The time between Thanksgiving and Christmas seemed like four years. And, oh, forever. Oh, Christmas is so far away now. It's like oh, oh crap! You, Christmas is around the corner. When I was six. Yeah, my mom forgot my birthday. I told her this actually the first time the other day, and she was horrified. She forgot my what day my birthday was when I was six, and so I was convinced four years, five years had elapsed, and she just <laughs> didn't know, and I was actually much older. And then she <laughs> went and remembered, and she's like, no, it's just still a couple months away. I was like, how? This has been the longest year of my life. So, yeah, it's concepts. <laughs> but but everything, no, I really I resonate with every. I feel very blessed because I, I do recognize that I, the gift I've had of knowing so many vets, like having so many world War two guys basically on speed dial and the, the amount of voicemails I have just, there is a reason my phone is constantly full. I mean, w one of my guys used to call me up and just leave voicemails playing the harmonica. So I recognize I've just been tremendously blessed by that. Um, and I, and that's, but that's why I really want to do something with all of this. And you're talking about the kids um, not being interested. And I really, my, my hot take, which I don't even really know what hot takes are. I'm, I'm very old. I'm a very old person. But my hot take is that I actually think kids really would love history and get really excited about that if they were given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of adults write them off. They're like, you're young. You're stupid. You, if you're shy, it means you don't care. And I mean, I used to be painfully shy, <laughs> you know, see how that turned out. But um, I think a, a lot of that is adults just assuming they won't care. And so not putting any effort in, but you have to, it's like exercise. You got to exercise a muscle and it takes time. You don't mm -hmm. see results immediately. So if, if there's a child who is slower, slower reading or just not as gung ho about something. You just kind of have to nurse it a little bit and show them and make it exciting and find ways outside of the box because statistics and numbers and names will always, well, they'll turn everyone off except for like data analysts sure. and engineers. No, All respect to data analysts <laughs> and engineers. One of my, one of my vets, um, one of my EWO vets wrote 92 textbooks. That was his passion. And he won a lot of text awards. And I was so impressed with him for that. Not my calling in life. Um, but I think you just have to, uh, I, I tell parents a lot, not that, you know, they have to listen to it, but I say, you know, don't write off the kids just because they seem checked out give them an opportunity and that's why what you have done jeff for years with your different organizations has been amazing like the hands-on um living history is the best way that's what several of the kids who are coming with me this year had never opened a book on world war ii and they happened to go to a military show and there was someone doing a demonstration in a uniform and they were like whatever he's doing i want to know about it because that looks cool and then cool becomes, oh, wow, this is important. And then important becomes, hey, I got to do something with my life. Mm -hmm. I, I need to represent these people. So it's you got to give them the opportunity. And I have to shout out to Jeff and your whole family because um, I will personally forever be grateful for when you all came down. Um, Don, uh, it was – it was – not this January, the January before. So January 2022, a new vet who we were both very close with was in the hospital for a number of weeks and he was dying. And the Copsetta family came down. Y'all drove hours round trip for that in full uniform and everything. And that was, I will forever be grateful to y'all for doing that for Fred because that was, um, he was a spectacular individual and that was the last cognizant day he was around and that was a gift to him it was a gift to me it was really really special um but and i well and it's i'm digressing now but that's something i hold on to is like these are memories which we will each have now and treasure and are very special and unique and they're going like you said you assume they're always going to be around 
I've known for years they weren't always going to be around, but now like mm-hmm. they're my World War II breakfast. So I'm only one or two guys at a breakfast as opposed to like a couple of years ago when there were 15 World War II vets throwing food at me saying, eat, <laughs> sing, talk, all this stuff. So, yes. Your necklace, is that Anyways. a paratrooper? <laughs> are those paratrooper jump wings on your necklace? Yes, they're jump wings. It's kind of hard to tell because of how small the screen is. But I'm like, those look like. Pre- Were those given yeah. to you by a vet? Um, no. So I, <laughs> I, I've been around too many paratrooper veterans, and so I went and went through a jump training program and got my jump wings Very i was cool. just going to do five get my jump wings do five jumps that's all and then i was like this is the greatest thing i've ever done in my life so i'm on a couple of demo teams and i'm I trying to get it. tammy to come jump with me i think she would be incredible she is material she is static line jumper material <laughs> <laughs> how, how is it because i i've thought about it i really have because there's another group that trains out of here in florida not too far from me and i've i've oh i've considered uh, it round canopy jump team they i jump so i did normandy with them this year i will send you information afterwards because you need to come do this it's I, the um they i had one of their reps on my show about two years ago but yeah um because they came to an uh, they came to one of our living history events um trying to uh recruit and i've i've put some real thought into it i still am but i haven't got over that threshold yet don i mean <laughs> it's, you, it would just be too easy you're so yeah, tall you just step out of the air seconds and i'm on the ground <laughs> <laughs> actually yeah you talk tall, tall guys gotta be careful they hit their head on the top it's, a it's short not comfortable world, i feel like i'm minute. i'm like compact size it's it is phenomenal well i wanted to do it because I met a bunch of paratrooper vets who told me about Normandy and Holland and it's very different. I don't jump in combat gear. I don't pretend to be like military or anything like that. I, I am on a demo team. So we will wear the uniform to show air shows to, to demonstrate to people, this is how it's done. Um, but it is an incredible experience. It's there's, there's nothing like it in the world. You know, you're flying, you're landing, you're jumping. You are truly living another saying that doesn't get said anymore. And that is to truly understand a person, you have to walk a mile in their shoes. And you are clearly doing that <laughs> with the jumping, going to all the different uh, battlefields, all the museums, all the, the luncheons you've participated in. You are truly walking a mile in these, this generation, that particular generation's shoes, boots, um, what have you. I mean, you're, you're really doing it. Just to get back to Operation Meatball, what, what was the what was one of the first larger scale endeavors you guys took on? You know, you you had a, a smaller kind of mission as you were going through high school, and then this thing started picking up. And at some point, you started doing return to battlefields. When was the first real big one you did, and how did you? How does a up and coming group such as yours get all of the connections in place to do one of these for the first time? So technically my answer is backwards because the first big event was when I, with the veterans going back was when I was 14 and I worked with my dad organizing that and put on event. But I'd say that's, we had like 30 British D-Day vets out for that, which is mind blowing to think about now. Um, The first big one. So the girls and I, we went to, we did the 70th of Normandy because that was going to, that's, I can see my gramps there that we had, there was a lot of things over there that we were doing at the time. And when we came back is when we were like, we got to do something. So I'd say December of that year is when we put on our first big event. And that was hard because the question was, how do we get connected with the vets? At that time, I wasn't connected with Honor Flight or any of the organizations. We literally knew no one. That's, um, so I just, we hoofed it a lot. I went to every single retirement home in San Antonio, Bernie, New Braunfels and Fredericksburg. And, um, we we did, I did a lot of cold calls and that was really hard because I was very young and just I still that was hard but it paid off because we ended up having thirty World War II veterans. Wow, was it thirty? It was like twenty, I think. We had twenty. I think it was about twenty World War II vets out to this program which we hosted at the Car Museum. Um, so a lot of so that was the first big one where we went okay this is something we can do and then after that um 
it, it just in, in this world everything snowballs. So that's I started getting connected with Honor Flight. I had a friend I who said, "Oh, you're interested in meeting World War II veterans? Here's a vet." Well, the vet said, "Hey, come to my breakfast group." That's a whole story in of itself because those breakfast groups are amazing and it took a vetting process. But <laughs> after that, I'd say I had a lot of opportunities kind of dropped in my lap because people would hear, oh, all right, this is interesting. You're all really young, but you're, you girls seem really engaged. So here you can come to this event. And my, because my sister sang World War II music beautifully, a lot of people wanted her to come out and sing. So uh, Honor, Honor Flight was one of the biggest breaks for us ever, though. I have... um. And I've got a lot of adopted family members around the country, but I have a friend up in uh, in D.C. who was a park ranger at the time, and he said, "Come up for honor flight. You're gonna we do we greet them on this side, on the D.C. side, and you can meet a lot of World War II vets. Come up for a Super Saturday." So we went up for a Super Saturday, and that's when you have like a dozen honor flights coming in, and that would that would have been 2014. So that was the same year we started OM, and one day. 1,000 World War II vets came through the World War II Memorial. 1,000. I can't even comprehend that now. And so from there, I mean, at that time, we talked to the vets and I would, and I'd say, hey, I have, look, I've got a picture. Can I send you this picture? And so we got a lot of addresses and just started talking with them. And so then everything, then I started working with honor flights and then different organizations would say, hey, come collaborate with us and work because we like what y'all are doing that y'all are encouraging the vets that it's life enriching that it's you're collecting their stories and you're bringing music to them music is a huge part of the brain Mm -hmm. it opens different avenues so it it was just kind of snowball effect after that and that's that's a terrible answer really because i get asked a lot of time people say how do i get connected with vets and the best answer is you go to, it's a lot of legwork it's it, honor flight and then a lot of hoofing if there are air shows or events or military expos you just go to them and talk to people and show that you're really sincere because yeah. you some people are are just trying to rack up signatures but if you're really if you if it's really passionate about it then you gotta you gotta work hard <laughs> how was the reboot process been after you know, the COVID years. And what I mean by that is down here in Florida, you know, prior to the, you know, then, you know, all the way up to 2018, 20, beginning 2019, we had a good set of reoccurring events down here. Um, But after, you know, the country pretty much closed down for a year and a half, two years, depending on what's three years, depending on what state you're in, um, some of our keystone events have come back, but some of them didn't. And, um, my living history schedule down here has dropped, you know, in the wintertime, I would probably do five to six a year. Now it's like, I'm lucky to get three of three to four. And one of those is out of state. And so how is it in Texas for, in that side of the country, as far as the rebooting of these public events, air shows, living history events, things like that. How has that been for you all out there? Uh, Jeff, honestly, you could probably answer that better. It's, it was, it was, Obviously, we all know COVID was just yeah. terrible for the senior for the senior world because a lot of them, a lot of my vets died over that time period because not from sickness but from isolation. Yep. Um, and I've worked I, I've worked um, in a non medical capacity doing caregiving over the years, um, and I really love it. But it's really hard to see the cost of loneliness and isolation on elderly people so as far as rebooting all these things i I don't know i think texas was really um blessed to not have the massive um issues that a lot of the other states did um i think i think it bounced back pretty fast like my my breakfast groups we took a brief cessation we paused briefly and then we were back at it and everyone was so happy to be getting meeting together. So to, I, I think it I think it bounced back pretty well. But because so many of the veterans had passed away, because they were really lonely, yeah. it was they came back, but with less of a show in that area. Jeff, you got follow ups? But there's still a lot of programs all around. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. There's always a delay. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with with what Liberty said. That here, it really, I can't think of like an air show that didn't happen. I, like, I don't, I don't know if Wings over Dallas ever had a, a, a didn't have a an air show because of COVID or something like that. I mean, I know, you know, really for me, it, it really killed a lot of the energy for Walking Point for the film. Yeah, that was just really bad timing. I had some big hopes for what that was going to be able to do to help connect veterans uh, and, and dogs and, you know, service dogs. So um, that was just like, mm, <laughs> really bad timing there. Um, but other than that, you know, from a living history perspective or, I mean, yeah, there were museums, of course. I mean, there was museums that shut down mm -hmm. because I mean, no the donations. perfect example, the town I live in is built around a frontier fort. There, there was nothing here. Um, so Fort Krogan was built and the Fort Krogan Museum was, I mean, run by borderline elderly women for the most part, volunteering to keep this museum open. And uh, that that fort, certainly that museum suffered. Uh, other museums, uh, you know, when I took over this one here, at, you know, the Highland Lakes Air Museum, we shut down for a couple months but we didn't stop operations. So what I mean by that is there's there's a train that comes up to burn it every Saturday from Austin, Cedar Park area, outskirts of Austin. And it's about a three hour uh, train ride. That never stopped. Uh, everybody had to wear a mask. But other than that, the train still came in to burn it for a few hours. They got to walk around the historic square and go shopping. And my dad does an Old West gunfight, you know, still, I mean, he's 73 and he's still doing it um so great. Just regular john wayne um so what i would do is i'd bring you know my old car out right next to the depot and be in uniform have a table with some museum artifacts and some trifolds and just as people got off the train you know they want to take a picture with you and they want to know more like oh yeah we'll definitely be back you know we'll spend more time with them so the museum was still reaching people you yeah. know but legwork <laughs> liberty was i mean a lot of legwork uh, a lot of volunteer hours to keep stuff going, but um, no, yeah, Texas was was very fortunate, um, you know, to not suffer as much as I think other places. But and to go back to what Liberty said too, um, uh, talking about Fred, our, our beloved Fred Harvey, uh, you know, that's definitely something that I owe you so much because I was not aware of this situation. I only heard bits and pieces of you know where he was at or whatever, and to get that call from you um really you know it meant so much to me because i don't even not even for for me to go see him again and to kind of have him reminisce and to give him another uh world war ii victory medal because we we haven't made a victory medal uh since world war ii so i thought that's you know when it comes to like ribbons and, and medals and what people care about you know that don't wear them that um <laughs> To me, that was the most important thing that came out of anything on the fruit salad from World War II, a victory medal. I mean, it doesn't to me it doesn't get better than that. But, but not just for that, but for for Logan at the time, he was you know my oldest son. He was about fifteen, and then Alyssa was about ten. Uh, Madeline too young to to really know. She was only about two and a half, and Lucius was six months. But we've got pictures, and we can mm -hmm. show them later in life that they did meet this guy. And, you know, and he knew of them. Um, and I think that's important because I'm seeing it certainly with Logan and certainly with Alyssa. They are huge World War II fans. Even my 12 year old girl, she is just she's infatuated with it. It's so cool to see from that perspective, from a 12 year old girl in 2023. She knows World War II. She loves World War II. You know, she you know, reads about it from time to time and loves to dress up. She loves the era. Um, so it's just neat to see. And so that's just something I will always cherish that new year's day. Uh, I will never forget. Um, and again, because of Liberty. So I just, I thank you so much for giving my family that opportunity because Fred was, was very dear to me. You know, he really was. And, um, I know my wife meant a lot to him. I, every time I'd come up, hey, Fred, how's it going? Did you bring that beautiful wife of yours with you? Hey, hey Fred, no. <laughs> I know. Every time Every time I went to Fred's house, and, you know, Fred moved. 
moved. He was a nomad. He moved like every six months. <laughs> God bless him. But every house he lived in, he always had, I think it was, it was like a Christmas ornament Tammy had made or something like that. Or maybe it was a picture. He always put it above the kitchen sink. And whenever I'd come and he'd be like, I want you to see my girlfriend. Her <laughs> husband doesn't know, but it's okay. <laughs> Every time. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's the so thing great. You can trust them with your life, but not your wallet or your wife. <laughs> <laughs> so what's coming down the pike for uh, Operation Meatball? So we have our... Next kids program, next Bridge History is coming up very soon, October. Um, in the middle of October, we've got eight kids. And that is kind of the focus of attentions at the moment. We're still we're still continuing all the usual. Um, I just had uh, a couple of events on the East Coast, the 82nd Airborne Convention, which I've been working with for a number of years. Um, and then I was in Tacoa. Georgia, which is home of the paratroopers. It's where, you know, the 101st trained. It's it's very famous because of Band of Brothers, but it's an incredible history. So we're, we've, the kids program is next on the docket, but we're still working um, locally with a lot of the World War II vets, just getting them out, getting them together, trying to give them, like, inspiration to keep on living a little bit. And some of them, I mean, some of them I've seen them, like, their energy rebirthed. You know, they get they, they got old when they were in their 80s, but they got young when they were in their 90s because they found a new life. So, balancing that out. Um, I think Wednesday, I'm actually I'm going to go have breakfast with a, a young whippersnapper who just turned 103. Nice. So, <laughs> you know, he, he, he only just started using a cane a couple of months ago, so it makes us all mad. We're like, why? Why do you have to have such good hair, such good posture and everything. And here we are struggling along with life. K rations. Um, <laughs> I think that's what it is. You know, ironically, so, but in, the next, yeah. <laughs> in the back of Sid Phillips book, he said, cause obviously when Sid Phillips got older, he became a doctor and he said he oftentimes <laughs> gives credit to C rations and K rations for his generation's post-war livelihood. Those preservatives. <laughs> if, uh, if a parent's keep listening, preserving. If a parent's listening and they think their child may be interested in your bridge to history where they get associated with in communication with uh, one of your uh, vets or elders, how can one of those parents reach out to you and see about getting their child in that program? Yes. Yes, please. Anyone. If you have, honestly, if your kids are older, if they're teenagers, still get me in touch with them because I would love to work with that. Um bridge to history.com which is bridge and then the number two history.com or you can email me at uh, liberty at bridge to history.com but on our website we have all the information and application form and contact info if you want to just reach out and see if you don't even have to put the application form in just reach out and say hey we're interested can you talk me through how the program works because it's more than just uh, European we have a lot of stateside programs too which we work with the kids um, and cause sometimes they can't get overseas. So we'll have events locally too. Um, so yes, bridge to history.com because we would love to connect with as many kids as possible. And as Honest. always, as we always do, if you head over to WTSP world war com, it's WWII.com. Um, there will be a page, page, a page dedicated to this episode where you can find links, photos, email addresses, and all the pertinent information to help you connect your child to Liberty and her two particular organizations. Um, Jeff, you got anything before we wrap up the show? Uh, no, except maybe just, uh, you know, throw this out there to Liberty. If there's, you know, San Antonio is not very far from it. Anything that you think uh, I could do in any way uh, to help you out, um, I'm right here. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I'm i trying to trim the fat a little bit with some of the uh, programming that I've been doing and working with museums. I'm kind of, you know, phasing that out and doing more just for, you know, for what's the scuttlebutt and, and acting and things like that. But uh, I am going to be in San Antonio the end of September for, you may know the organization that uh, Walk Among Heroes or Walk for Our Heroes, I want to yes, say. Yes, Jeff Wells. Oh, yeah, Wish exactly. for Our Heroes. Oh, I was, because I was yeah. about to say, I, you you got to connect with them because they're the best. That's fantastic. 
I have. Yeah, I'm going to be down there for that banquet. Uh, Scott Gibson is going to be coming down. He, you know, kind of travels with them and all that stuff. And uh, talked to him, I guess, a week or so ago. And he, he kept asking me, he's like, are you coming? Are you coming? I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there. Tell me what I need to do. He goes, oh, you didn't get tickets yet? I'm like, Scott, dude, I didn't know. I need, like for months now, <laughs> I didn't know I needed to get tickets. And then it was amazing. Like later that night, the super late at night, he texts me. He goes, dude, I got you on the guest list. You and Tammy, no problem. I'm like, oh. Thank you. So fantastic. I can't wait. I can't wait to meet Scott in person and meet all these people down there. And, and just to, for Tammy and I just to spend some time in San Antonio, we love San Antonio. Love it. And uh, it is, it is the best place. I do love it. I know where you live is wonderful, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad to hear. Actually, one of my friends who I will introduce to you there, Maurice's dad was the wartime mayor of St. Mary Glees. So he's going to be there. And wow. I've known Maurice. I've known Maurice forever. He actually, I, I met him 10 years ago. He came in, he spoke at my first event. You know, this, thank goodness we don't know what we're doing when we're a little bit, a little bit dumb. But I wrote him and I was like, hey, I know I just met you in Normandy. Will you come talk at my event? I know you're going to be in Texas sometime. Literally no idea. And he's like, sure, I will. So, you know, this legend of Normandy comes to my events. So I'm like, anyways, Maurice is going to be there. So I will connect you because he's a terrific human being and just fascinating person. So you're going to, I'm so glad you're connected with that and you'll be in San Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that for sure. Jeff, you have anything else coming down the pipe that you need to plug? You got any uh, appearances coming down on anybody's shows or any events going on? Uh, If you're familiar with snafu pod, uh, that is, that is an incredible podcast. I got to hand it to them. They do. So if you like me, Love B-17s, love the 8th Air Force. That's the subject matter every episode. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit. Uh, He reached out when I was in Dallas last year, of course, with the big airplane crash, of course, with the 17 going down. We talked a little bit then, and he tried to get me on the show, and it just hasn't, you know, hasn't lined up. But it sounds like we were going to shoot for August, September to be on a, a debriefing episode, I guess awesome. that he just has guests and he wants to just kind of talk my life's history, I guess with world war two. So looking forward to to that. Cause that is a really neat podcast as well. And uh, other than that, no, I'll definitely be sending a lot of pictures from the, uh, from the event in, in San Antonio in September. And um, maybe, you know, get to do something with operation meatball in down in San Antonio one day too. We'll never know. Hopefully so. And if we'll work that out. And just a reminder, we want to hear from everybody. So send us an email at mail call at WTSP World War com. And after you shoot off that email, please head over to WTSP World War com. Click on the back the attack link and sign up for Patreon. It goes a long way to help support what we do here. And um, as always, please like and subscribe on the YouTube channel and join us every Monday for our live streams. And join us next week. We're going to have. Um, a local captain here named Ronnie. He's with an organization called Fish with a Hero where they take war veterans out and whether it's on deep sea fishing, freshwater fishing, kayak fishing, whatever their preferable preferably is, they take these gentlemen out and hopefully land a large fish with them and help them acquire a fun day of fishing here in southwest Florida. So they will be on next week. And um, for myself, Jeff Copsetta and Liberty, we want to thank each and everybody for hanging out with us tonight, and we will talk to you all next week. This has been a Digital 410 production.